When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, this is Dan. Welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Mary Kay, Ellis, and I are going to answer four questions regarding the Browns. And we get into kind of a fun discussion about defense and uh, defensive coordinators and all that stuff. Real quick, I'll tell you about Football Insider because you've heard me tell you about it before. You get an exclusive newsletter every single day delivered to you. You get exclusive access to content on Cleveland.com. And you get to be part of our group of texters uh, that will have people on the pick games, uh, post-game show. We'll have a normal post-game show this Sunday after the Jets game, so you'll want to jump on that. Playoffs in that one. Who knows? Uh, so make sure you sign up for Football Insider. Head over to cleveland.com slash Brown. Click on the blue banner at the top of the page and check that out. Now on to our podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I'm Dan Lobby, joined by Mary Kay Cabot. Mary Kay, how are you? Well, I'm doing a lot better now that I got out to actually get some presents to put <laughs> under this Christmas tree today. So... Uh, starting to feel a little bit better about that. Oh, there you go. Good for you. Ellis Williams joining us as well. Ellis, how are you? I'm cool, man. Joining in from Minnesota. The NBA's back today. I got the Warriors and the Nets on behind me. The Lakers get their ring later tonight. The Cavs play tomorrow, so the Wolves. And the Vikings play on Christmas Day for some reason, <laughs> plus all those basketball games. So we're all we're just in the thick of things here now. We've all, we've all survived uh, what was a long – I mean, I guess it was a long day of travel. It was so, sort of all happened within like this 24-hour window, but we all survived a long day of travel and not very much sleep uh, from Sunday to Monday. But here we are, uh, and I came up with four questions now. In the second half of the pod, you'll hear from Terry Pluto. I actually threw one or two of the uh, one or two of these topics at Terry, so this is kind of where at least this first one uh, I came up with. So I want to ask something about Baker Mayfield because I've been thinking a little bit about this. So if we remember, of course, Baker Mayfield just has – you know, a disastrous stretch. He's got the last, he's got the second half against the Colts, throws two picks. The game against the Steelers throws two picks. There was a pick on his very first pass against Cincinnati. So you're looking at seven quarters, five interceptions. He starts 0 for 5 against Cincinnati. Then he just goes crazy. 21 straight, wins the game against the Bengals. And then all this bad weather hits in November and he can't really throw the ball that much anymore. But I'm wondering, was that maybe a good thing for Baker Mayfield? Because obviously you get the bounce back against Cincinnati, what you need, what you needed, but it also sort of pumped the brakes a little bit and made him be kind of that game manager and kind of lean on the O-line, lean on his, his running game a little more. You're not winning because of Baker necessarily. He's just got to make a throw here or there. And it sort of helped him develop a little more in that aspect. Then he comes out of that weather and has a pretty good game against Jacksonville and is great the last three weeks. Is there a case to be made that maybe that was good for him? Well, one of the reasons that it was really good for him is because, <laughs> because he did not have to get into a shootout with Deshaun Watson. 
So that was one of the reasons that it was great for him uh, because, and great for the Browns is because we, we've seen, we saw what Deshaun Watson did a little bit before that and went on to do right after that, which was have amazing games. Uh, so I, I always think back to that and think, boy, they, you know, they got a little bit lucky uh, with the weather being their, uh, their 12th man there. Um, but as far as, as Baker having to take a step back, um, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. I, I think one way that it did help him is that if he has to go play in a bad weather game in Buffalo, or if he has a bad weather game in Cleveland, they learned some things. They had a game against, uh, was it the Raiders where they dropped five passes? Yep. Was that the one? So they had a game where that happened. Okay. Jarvis never wants to have that happen again. None of the receivers ever want to have another game like that again. So I think more so than anything, they, uh, they, they learned how to play in some bad weather. And I think that will serve them well as they move forward into some bad weather playoff games. Okay. So Mary Kay, no pun intended here, throwing water on my theory. Uh, Ellis, <laughs> am I, am I wrong? Am I crazy? No, Dan, I actually like your okay. theory. I, oh, I, I do. And I, I hadn't thought about it much until we, you know, hopped on the, the, the pre-show, if you will, and you, you brought it up. Yeah. I just, I just threw these questions at you guys like two minutes before we came on. So. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in the time I've had to think about it, I, I guess I'll use this, this, this comp. It, it makes me think of like a, a basketball team. Think of a, a high school or college team that, is run and gun and get up the court real fast, but they can be sloppy at times. I could see a coach implementing a, like a five, six, seven pass rule. You know, you get across half court and you have to pass the ball around before you can ultimately try and score. And in bad weather that forced Baker Mayfield to, to just, you know, turn the, turn the jets down a bit and reel himself back in. And that ultimately brought him to what I think was his, opportunity in Tennessee so where I'm going with this is when you're forced to play slower like that and the and the game plan is out of your hands it doesn't allow you to continue those bad habits like you said Dan like of course the Bengals game is what it is but you could have fallen back into that turnover football um, had the game plan been different so then you play in more control in those bad weather games because you're forced to. And then ultimately that Tennessee game is coming out party only pressured once on 33 attempts and he lights up the Tennessee's zone defense and lack of pressure. And then that builds to Baltimore and then New York. So I like the, the comparison just because you're forced to slow it down because of the weather. And then you find a perfect matchup with the Tennessee defense that allows Baker now to play with this confidence that he's clearly been playing with the past three games. Yeah. You know, maybe it wouldn't have mattered against Houston because that defense isn't very good. Um, but maybe the fact that he didn't have to have, play a shootout against the Texans and it wasn't Baker versus Deshaun. It was, it was just the Browns kind of being the Browns. I, I guess a part of me thinks maybe this coaching staff was able to, you know, sort of continue that incremental building back up, I think of Baker Mayfield, which is what I really think has happened since that Pittsburgh game. It's just been this, very slowly building him back up to where they want him to be within this offense. And maybe it helped them take a step back and, and kind of show him, look, it's okay to lean on Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt every now and then. We don't need you necessarily to go out and win every game like you did the Cincinnati game. And then all of a sudden he kind of starts loosening up a little. I'll tell you what, I'm working through my rewatch right now of, of the, um, the game on Sunday night against the Giants. And there were some throws where, we kind of saw that old gunslinger Baker a little bit, I think, where he had a guy open 
underneath, but he threw the ball down the field and, and made some great throws. So I think that's, that's just sort of been the progression of Baker. And so I guess my working theory here is maybe that inability to really do some of that gunslinger stuff sort of helped the coaching staff, you know, take those baby steps that maybe they want, they needed to take. Well, you know, I think that they were ready to, um, to get the passing game cranked up sooner than they did. Uh, but because of the weather, they couldn't. And I really think that, you know, that some of the things that you saw him do later, he would have done in those games. And they would have tried to do those things in those games, especially against some challenged defenses, uh, if they could have. And I don't think it could have hurt him uh, to try to do that and to take some risks and to, to take some chances. Uh, he probably would have been that much further ahead as they head into uh, this stretch and into the playoffs had they been able to, uh, to start honing that passing game a little sooner than they did and unleashing the beast a little sooner than they were able to. Uh, but I mean, I see your point. I mean, I, I, can under, I can see where, you know, taking a step back, uh, you know, may have helped him in a way. But the benefits that I see more are more uh, figuring out how the heck to play in that kind of weather. And uh, other than that, I, I, think they, I think they wanted to get it rolling sooner. Mary Kay, I completely agree with you. Just looking at the schedule, you had a feeling that that Houston game probably would have been the one they would have started opening him up against. And it probably would have turned into a Watson Mayfield shootout, but the matchup would have made it beneficial for them to try and do that. And then of course the Phillies secondary is nothing to be worried about. And then the weather's bad there. And then you finally get some nice weather in Jacksonville and you see that they did want to get him going. They start the game out in empty and Baker had some opportunities for, for guys opening the end zone. He just missed them. And then you get another soft matchup with Tennessee and it finally comes together. But that run of after the Bengals game, I mean, we even count the Bengals game because you know, their secondary is not all that impressive either, but from the Bengals to the Raiders, Houston, Philly, Jacksonville, Tennessee, that's quite a stretch of, of weak defenses. And the bad wet, those three bad weather games really eliminated those chances. But right when you were able to get some good weather, both in Jacksonville and Tennessee, Kevin Stefanski was all about getting Baker gone. Yeah, because if you look back, I've actually done, I went back and uh, looked at some uh, Alex Van Pelt quotes from, you know, when he was hired and early on and just talking about how uh, they, you know, they were going to be explosive and they were going to find ways to get the ball to Odell and Jarvis. I mean, you don't have those thoroughbreds on your football team and you don't go out and you sign uh, Austin Hooper and make him at the time the highest paid tight end in the NFL if you're just going to run the football, right? I mean, they always always intended to be what they are now, which is a team uh, that, that can try to score at will at any time and can go everywhere they want to, uh, all over the field with the football. And, and now we're seeing that. I think that, you know, we all were talking about, oh, they're this, they're that, they're running. And, and Kevin Stefanski kept on saying, no, we're not. Don't go pegging <laughs> us at some, as some running football team. Like, no, 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 no. That's not who we are. And now I think everybody's like realizing, oh yeah, I guess you don't have all those uh, high powered, expensive weapons uh, just so you can run the ball. Well, Joe Judge knew it. And he said after the game that he knew that field goals weren't gonna cut it basically. So <laughs> he certainly knows it. Um, speaking of those thoroughbreds, the second question I have written down here is, you know, I don't know if the Browns are going to have to make this choice this off season or not. At some point though, this is a choice they're going to have to make. So we're gonna make it here. 
Uh, if the Browns did have to choose between the two best friends, Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr., which choice should they make? That is a great question, Dan. It really is. It's a great, great question. And uh, there's a part of me that that sometimes thinks that that they're a package deal and that they're <laughs> now they're right, that they're here together and that if they're not going to be here together, that they're going to be somewhere else together. Uh, so I wonder if it's going to be a choice or if it's going to be all or nothing. Uh, but I would have probably right now, and it's a tough choice because. And, and uh, let's, sorry, I'll, I'll interrupt. Let's just say that for the purpose of this discussion, Odell's back and yeah. healthy and ready to go at the start of next season. Yeah. So he's back. He's, he's healthy. He's ready to go. I, I do. I, I think this is a tough choice because I do think that Odell is a generational talent. I think he's a completely generational talent and he's exciting uh, to have on your football team. He's exciting to cover. Uh, he's the kind of almost like the LeBron James of the NFL and all those kinds of things. And he does different things than Jarvis does, but because of the absolute chemistry that Jarvis and Baker have, they have it, okay, they have it. Odell and Baker were never, they never really had the time to get it. And even when he comes back, they're still gonna need to work on that a little bit. I mean, it might not be there right away. So I think because these guys are getting up there in years and they've got, I mean, they have some time left, obviously. Look at Larry Fitzgerald Pete's sake. Um, but uh, because of just that natural bond that Baker has with Jarvis, I think I'd have to say Jarvis right now, even though it pains me to do it. Yeah, Mary Kay, I agree. I, I, I don't want the answer to be get rid of Odell Beckham Jr., but for everything you just said, and on top of, of from a team building standpoint, you'd think that on the open market, Odo Beckham Jr.'s value is higher than Jarvis. So perhaps you could now, you know, now I'm throwing scenarios in here, but you trade Odell for, you know, draft picks of some sort that help build your team in a different way compared to what Jarvis could get you. And I know I've said on this podcast multiple times that I've wondered if the pairing of Jarvis and Odell was the issue more than just it being a issue between Odell and Baker and I, I think there is a lot to Mary Kay you've been all over this from last season and Kevin Stefanski said it uh, at times this season it's about banked reps you know how many times have you actually thrown to this receiver and Jarvis and Baker have a ton which is why you see them play the way they do and Odell and Baker just don't Mary Kay you said that last year Stefanski says it this year it's clearly 100% accurate mm -hmm. but when it comes to those two on the field, I think the missing piece in all this may have just been Richard Higgins. They should have just been playing Richard as their number three, or even been in two receiver sets, giving Higgins opportunities on the field and take Jarvis or Odell off the field at times. Not because Higgins is a better receiver than those two necessarily, but you have to at least let Higgins ability shine, which is first his chemistry with Baker. And then also just being a bigger bodied target compared to the five foot 10 Odell and similar size Landry. So I think next year it'd be really interesting if all these pieces come back and are fully healthy, a three receiver rotation with Jarvis Odell and Richard Higgins and seeing how Baker plays to that rather than having Cordero Hodge being your number three. I wonder if they could go back 
and just do some things differently before that bye week. If those would have been their three receivers rather than Hodge, that might have been one of Kevin Stefanski's only mistakes. Now with the power of hindsight looking back on, on the season, that it probably should have been Higgins this whole time being your number uh, three guy before Beckham went down. But point is, it, it would be Landry for me, but I think this team at full strength with a trio of Landry, Beckham, and Higgins, we'd see Baker playing with more uh, – like he's playing now, and it wouldn't be like, oh, he's better without – Odell. I think the, the ingredient is actually Higgins and not a, a problem with Odell. It's that Higgins should have been playing much sooner. I, I, I mean, I got to go with Landry too. And, and the reason is it's something we talked about on the post game show on uh, Sunday was I, I just, I feel like Kevin Stefanski really fully understands Jarvis Landry right now. And I think the things Landry does for this football team are so important to this offense. And I, there's not another receiver on this team that can do those things for the Browns. Now, those things I'm talking about are like, you know, his, you bring him around on motion, the defense has to pay attention to him because he does so many different things with the football in his hands. Now, look, Odell is a downfield threat. Jarvis is not that. Um, so they're different receivers, but I just mean the way that they use Jarvis in this offense is, it's just different. I kind of, it's almost a little bit like how they sometimes use Kareem Hunt in this offense. It's just Jarvis gets the ball more and he's on the field more. Um, he just does so many different things. And I think Kevin Stefanski is just now really starting to show a lot of that off. Um, so I, I think right now I would probably say Jarvis just because I know what he is in this offense and I don't fully know what Odell is in this offense. And none of this has anything to do. Like I'm with you, Mary Kay. I like Odell. <laughs> He's fun to cover. He got one of my good guy votes last year. I, fans probably have no idea what that is, but there's this, <laughs> this award we give away the local PFWA called the good guy award. Uh, and, and I Sheldon Richardson won it and we vote for like two or three guys. I gave one of mine to Odell. So, I mean, I really like the guy, um, but sometimes it's about fit. And right now it just feels like Jarvis fits better. Well, you know what? That's because uh, Jarvis has been here. Jarvis is here right now on the football field while the lights are coming on for Baker Mayfield. Yeah. So it looks like, all of a sudden he fits better and there's a better connection with Baker Mayfield, but it's because Baker all of a sudden woke up in this offense and, and now he's in a zone. He's in a zone. Now there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, he's got amazing protection. We know that he's got an amazing supporting cast. He's got an amazing coaching staff calling great plays for him. And they've taken out everything that he didn't feel confident doing and kept in everything that he feels super confident in doing. We're seeing, we're seeing the dangerous Baker. We're seeing the flag planting, crotch grabbing Baker out there. Um, and Jarvis is a beneficiary of that right now. But I truly believe in my heart of hearts that Baker, that Odell Beckham Jr. would have also been a beneficiary of Baker catching on in this offense. I 100% believe that. I think that they practiced together in training camp. They would have been practicing together during the week, which they didn't get to do last year. And you could see, even in those first six games or five or six games that Odell played, you could see that he was so determined, that he was so determined to carry this football team. And that is why he won the Dallas game for them. Right now, they would be on the outside looking in if he didn't win that game. And 
there are other games where I don't think they would have won early on if it were not for him. So therefore, it's a shame that the NFL world and Cleveland fans are not getting to see who and what Odell would have been this season with this version of Baker, especially against some of the challenged cornerbacks that we have seen this team play against. Yeah, because really all we're talking about here is time spent. And that is goes deeper than just Baker Mayfield's time with either Jarvis Landry or Odell Beckham Jr. This also, of course, involves Kevin Stefanski. Dan, I thought you asked one of the best questions of the year the other day when you were talking to uh, – yeah, no, seriously, when you were talking to Kevin about uh, his relationship with Jarvis Landry and what he knew about Jarvis coming in here. And, and Kevin gave a great response in saying – no, I needed to be on the field with these guys. I needed to see them. I needed to be tangible with them and just figure out. And now I'm paraphrasing and kind of putting my own spin on it. But what he was trying to say was that he needed to see how these guys worked, how they, you, you have them on the practice field. Let's try throwing Jarvis a swing pass out of the backfield. Can he mechanically do it? What are his, what his footwork like? Is he comfortable being in that spot? And that really just made the light bulb go off like, wow, this is this so much bigger than just a quarterback and receiver relationship. It's also Kevin Stefanski figuring out the best way to deploy weapons like Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. And we've seen the playbook expand for Jarvis as we're now into December. And that only would have been true for Odell Beckham Jr. Along with the chemistry with Baker Mayfield. So it would have been the offensive already impressive, but now it's a, it's a, it's a Madden fantasy now wondering what Odell would look like on this roster as the currently formed. Okay, next question. So there is a scenario, and it's really complicated, but there is a scenario. It's not, I already got an email about it today, and my response was basically, don't worry about it. There's two weeks of football left. This more than likely is not going to happen. Two weeks is forever in the NFL when we're talking about all the teams involved in this and all the moving pieces. But there is a scenario where the Browns could go 11-5, and and they could be left on the outside looking in. So my question for the, in regards to this topic, if the Browns go 11 and five and miss the playoffs, are we going to call this season a failure? No. Five's a good record. <laughs> no, I mean, incredibly disappointing. I mean, it would be heartbreaking, heart wrenching. I mean, I, I lived through uh, 2007 and just remembering just in that last game, everybody just on the edge of their seats waiting to find out what was going to happen with the tiebreakers uh, and, and how that was going to work out to, to come that far to win 10 games. It's soul crushing. It really is. And that would be the case this year. Uh, it would be, it would be horrible, but I certainly don't think that anybody uh, would judge this as a failure. If mathematically all these other things happened uh, that, that kept them out. Because once you get to, I mean, there's not much more that you, than you can reasonably as, expect a team to do than win 11 games, okay? If you win 11 games, for the most part, you need to be in the playoffs. So I, I, I would say it, the season would still be a resounding success from the standpoint of this team figured out how to win some games. It learned a lot. It realized it has its head coach nailed. It appears to have its quarterback of the future nailed. Uh, it, it's got its GM figured out. It's got alignment from top to bottom. It's got all these things that 
it's poised for sustained success for a long, long time. It's functional. It's not crazy. People aren't ending up in the news for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> so I think that this it's been a resounding success in so many ways. Uh, and again, it would be heartbreaking for, for the Browns and their fans if that happened. Um, but I, I don't think it, I don't think that it would mean that this was a failure in, in any world. The only way you could look at it as a failure is if you really start nitpicking, what is the difference between 11 and five and 12 and four? And it would probably come down to the Raiders game in which point you would say, yeah, that was a disappointing loss looking back on it. You know, cause you think about it, that probably is the low point of the season. If you break the Browns year so far into like post Bengals game two and pre Bengal pre game there, like, after the Baker Mayfield goes on that stretch versus the Bengals, they do drop that game versus the Raiders, but then we're talking, you know, Houston, Philly, and so on. And now we're here. So the difference to get to 12 and four is a disappointing loss to the Raiders. So yeah. And you know, if you're really nitpicking, sure. That's a tough loss, especially concerning where the Raiders are now, it's going to be a team that you lost to that didn't make the playoffs and you only scored six points against a defense that is looking like one of the worst defenses in football. But again, that's all hindsight in the grand scheme of things, by no means is it a disappointment for everything Mary Kay just laid out. And off the top of my head, I feel like the last NFL team and probably AFC team to not make the playoffs would have been that 11 and five Patriots team with Matt Castle, the year Tom Brady tore his ACL and the Patriots went on to win three more Super Bowls since then. I'm pretty sure. So look, you're, you're in good company. I, I can't disagree. I, you know, I, I, I will, I, I will have a, a little caveat here real, real quickly, but I can't disagree because of all the reasons that kind of you said, Mary Kay, you've got your core. It seems like you got your quarterback, you got your coach, you got your GM. The arrow is pointing up after this year. This team could not play another game this season. And they're going to go into next year, especially after they address some holes on this defense and, and attack another off season together. They're going to go into next year. They might be the favorite in the AFC North next year. Honestly, depending on what they do this off season, there's a real possibility that could happen. Um, so to me, they've kind of done what they've needed to do. And you don't ever want to be flippant with opportunities in the NFL because the, those windows can close in an instant. But I, I don't think that's going to happen with this team. So it's, it almost feels like they're playing with house money at this point. Not that any, anybody in that building would admit it. However, my only caveat, the only way to me it would be a disappointment is if that fifth loss that keeps them out of the playoffs happens this week. To me, it's... If, if you lose to the Steelers in the last week, and let's say it's a close game, and I know the Steelers are playing just awful football right now. They're, we're recording this the day after they lost to the Bengals. They're playing awful. But it is still the Steelers. It is still Ben. It is still, you know, a, a chunk of what was a really good defense. So, and, and they'd have their backs against the wall in that game. So that would be disappointing, but, you know, it, it, that kind of is what it is. But to me, if that fifth loss came against the Jets, if you just didn't take care of business this weekend – I think that would make it sting a, a little bit more um, just because this team has been so good all season long, taking care of business against teams. They should even against, you know, Ellis, you mentioned the Raiders loss, which I think is maybe the one loss you could say was a bad one. But even in that case, the Raiders were playing pretty well at that point. Right. That was yeah. probably the high point of the Raiders season when the Browns lost to them. Um, yeah. So that's my only, and that's my only maybe, which is, which me saying the word maybe will drive uh, one of our, 
podcast reviewers crazy, but <laughs> let, me, let me add this real quickly, just because I think it's important to keep in context and coaches say this all the time. And it, 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 I believe it as well is there's, you can't compare season to season. These teams end up being different regardless of the quarterback and key pieces changing the same. Um, there's is something about momentum and magic and being on a run like this, you know, of course the Browns won't play the NFC East every year. Dan, I agree with you. They could be AFC North favorites and they, there are probably future playoff bursts in Kevin Stefanski's tenure in Cleveland, but there is just no guarantee that Baker will be on a roll like this again, that the offensive line stays healthy like this again, there just are no guarantees. So if anything, the disappointment wouldn't be on Stefanski or Baker or Joe Woods or Alex Van Pelt or anything. It just would be a missed opportunity, not being able to go into the playoffs with the type of momentum and offensive firepower that they're playing with right now. And as, as far as this weekend is concerned, I just don't have any thought in my mind that they could lose right. to the Jets. If that happens, I will be so incredibly shocked. And, and the only way that I could see it happening uh, is, you know, there's this uh, little thing called COVID-19 this year. The, the only way that I oh, see yeah. it happening is if like the quarterback room like happened in Denver ends up on the COVID list and Jarvis. Well, that, that would be Jarvis. I, I, you know what? I would still take Jarvis to beat the Jets. <laughs> right. And Jarvis is playing quarterback. You know, I mean, now I hope this doesn't happen because it's going to be blamed on me if this happens, but um, I just don't see them losing. I just do not see them losing to the Jets, but you make a good point, Dan. I, I mean, that would be the only way. Yes. I could see that that would put a little asterisk on it if that did happen but that is just not even in my sphere of thinking right now. As long as Dwayne Haskins doesn't go to back to Ohio state for some reason and show up in Columbus and all the quarterbacks go hang out with them. I think, I think the bronze room will be okay there. <laughs> I will say this real quickly too, though. Um, in my, for my jets preview, I, I read a handful of um, Rams writers and Mary Kay. They sound exactly like you reading their, what they had to say. They're just like staring at their keyboard having no idea what to type because they can't believe this just happened. So it just happened to the Rams. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, yeah. there are those games, as we know from trying to pick games every week, there are those games, like, where you just can't believe that that happened, like the Giants beating the Seahawks and, uh, you know, some of the other things that happened. But that one, I mean, it was it, it was like the Bengals beating the Steelers, right? Oh, right. And, Dan, you've been, you've been all over this. Like you, you were like, you know, it's just the NFL. You have a slip-up. And perhaps we, you know, maybe it was going to be Jacksonville. Maybe it was going to be the Giants. It hasn't happened. And again, I'm not saying it's going to be this week, but Dan, you have been saying it, that this, it's the NFL. These things happen. Well, and, and that's, what's impressed me about this, this team. This right, that it they hasn't. just haven't, they haven't allowed that to happen. And I think it would have to be a disaster to, to lose to the Jets. I mean, it would just have to be so many things would have to go wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and if it did happen, if they did get a Broncos situation, that changes. Yeah. You know, that, that's, that's not a disappointment. Uh, but, you know, if they're out there full strength and they lost that game, that would certainly be a disappointment. So speaking of the Jets, I had one more question because this was a possibility back in 2018. And you know, it's, it's funny because basically with the Jets, it's been, you know, keep losing so you can get rid of Sam Darnold. And then they lose that game. Or I'm sorry, they win. I'm keep win, Yeah, keep losing. Then they win that game against the Rams. And now it's like, well, maybe they should hang on to Sam Darnold, which, okay, he's either your guy or he's not. Come on. But Sam Darnold could have ended up in Cleveland. Um, I kind of liked Sam coming out. 
Mary Kay, I don't remember, if I remember, you were a little leery, at least about the turnovers, if I remember correctly. Ellis, you weren't around with us in 2018, so I'm not sure what you thought of Sam. So you can say whatever you want here <laughs> regarding your thoughts on Sam, and we'll believe it. Um, but right. Do you think Sam Darnold's career, early career, would have played out any differently had the Browns drafted him? You know, I, I'm going to say that in the, in the early going, maybe not. But if Sam Darnold were in this offense with the Cleveland Browns right now, I think there's a lot of quarterbacks that would look really, really good in this quarterback-friendly offense. So if we took Sam Darnold away from the New York Jets right now and plopped him into this Cleveland Browns offense with Kevin Stefanski. And I mean, we saw, didn't Case Keenum go 11 and three in Minnesota? You lived through that. Um, So you take this quarterback friendly offense that relies heavily on good play action and some keepers and all the other things that, that it does well. And you give him this offensive line, these tight ends, these receivers, uh, this running game, best, arguably best, or one of the best in the NFL. And I really think that you have a different Sam Darnold, a successful quarterback. Now, I don't know if he'd be as good as Baker Mayfield. Baker does some pretty special darn things. I've been even wondering lately, would Carson Wentz look good in this (laughs) offense right now? Right? I mean, that thought has crossed my mind. If you took him and plugged him in and gave him all of this, I I think he would look a heck of a lot better, especially with the play calling and the coaches on this staff. I think he would look better in it. I think Sam Darnold would look better. So I think these these young quarterbacks are a product of their environment in some cases. Now, in some cases, no. Patrick, well, and even Patrick Mahomes is to a certain degree. My goodness, he's with oh, yeah. Andy Reid. He's with Eric Bieniemy. So yes, he's a product of that situation. I mean, Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Andy Reid, right? I mean, he's got a really, really great situation going. Uh, so yes, I think you could take some of these court, these lesser quarterbacks, put them in here, or put them in the, maybe the Kansas City offense or whatever, and I think you'd be getting something out of them. Yeah, so Mary Kay's scratching the surface on something I think is really interesting involving the the Mike Shanahan wide zone scheme, which I'm going to get to in a second. But just as for the Sam Darnold thing, I, I I don't know. Has has this is rhetorical, but has Sam Darnold's low point in his NFL career matched Baker's low point, which we probably would have put up somewhere last season? It, you know, the the photo of him in the you know the oversized coat and at the podium that moment that went viral. Turn, you know, like so both their lows have probably been about the same. We're talking about Adam Gase here. We're talking about Freddie Kitchens, so on and so forth. But as it pertains to what's going on with this wide zone concept, I truly believe that it's going to be the most interesting thing to watch for you know the the football minds who cover the NFL because the past two NFC champions have ran this scheme. Um, the Rams, of course, and Sean McVay, and then uh, Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo. Go read a Los Angeles Rams story right now in the comment section. You're going to find a lot of ticked off fans at Jared Goff who think he has no fear. They'll never win anything with Goff, and it's all McVay. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo's future all of a sudden is really unknown in San Francisco. 
Um, the Tennessee Titans have turned Ryan Tannehill into a, a top 10 quarterback. That's another wide zone scheme and Arthur Smith, uh, the Vikings and Kirk Cousins. And then of course, uh, the, the Browns and Baker Mayfield. And then Matt LaFleur is doing this as well in Green Bay, but that's Aaron Rodgers to Mary Kay's point with, with Pat Mahomes. The point is we just don't have enough data yet on how defenses are going to adjust to making these extremely quarterback friendly schemes more troublesome for the quarterback. Like is the quarterback interchangeable or does there come a point where the quarterback is the difference maker that we just can't, there just is not enough data yet on defenses countering this. So in the grand scheme of things, I think, yeah, Sam Darnold probably has a better uh, current situation if he's in Cleveland with Kevin Stefanski. But I think this is so much more about the wide zone scheme that starts with Mike Shanahan and then to Kyle and then the McVay tree and now is here in Cleveland than it is about the specific talents themselves. Mm-hmm. And you know oh. what? Is it, it's a great oh, go ahead, Mary Kay. Just real, real quickly. It's a great point, Ellis, and one that I asked every single person that I talked to about Baker Mayfield and Kevin Stefanski in the offseason. I asked every, I asked Dan Arlovsky that question. I asked Chris Sims that question. I asked Greg Cosell that question. Everybody that I talked to, I say, why? Why do defenses and how do defenses make it look so easy to operate in this scheme and throw 20? Even you, you said, Ellis, what the numbers were going to be for Baker Mayfield. Remember, yeah. didn't, didn't Terry uh, Pluto say that he would grow hair or something like that if Baker had, you know, 20? I, I, I said upper 20 touchdowns and single right. digit interceptions. That's <laughs> where we're at. And that's what everybody told me that I talked to all offseason. That's what everybody said. Even Dan Arlovsky, they're going back and showing quotes of him saying he'll have more than 25 touchdowns, yep. fewer than 10 interceptions, because that's what these guys do. And I always and I keep thinking to myself, but why? Why yeah. are defensive coordinators allowing it to happen? And what are they going to do to prevent it? And the answer always keeps coming back the same. They can't figure it out because the run looks like the pass and the pass looks like the run. And it's just too confusing right now. If you have a really good offensive line coach, really good offensive line coach that can kind of make it all happen and, and, you know, help disguise everything and have everybody faking it out the way that needs to be faked. Right. Cause you need the offensive linemen uh, to participate in this ruse, right? Yep. And when you have Bill Callahan, like Dante Scarnecchia was in New England, you can do this and you can you can, can totally confuse a defense. Nobody really, except for like when you get into the playoffs, that playoff, I mean, <laughs> that's a different story, right? Teams have gotten shut down with this offense in the, in the playoffs. I mean, but, San Francisco against Minnesota last year. Right, exactly. But leading up to it throughout the season, all these guys, it's like, you roll them out, you, you, you fake, you roll them out, you find the, the open man or the one-on-one guy down there, and you nail them with the football. I was even thinking the other day, could Case Keenum be doing this right now in this offense? I mean, he did it in Minnesota. Uh, so it, it is, it's the, it's the big question, like, why aren't the Bill Belichick's of the world and not everybody's Bill Belichick, but why haven't they uh, gotten out their, you know, their little pencil in the off season and figured out a way to not let these guys make it look so easy. 
right. Well, I'll say this. The Rams only did score six points against Bill Belichick in that Super Bowl. So right. Bill's probably just keeping it a secret. Like right. you said, the Brian Flores. Exactly, exactly. So right. that's, that's playoff football compared to regular season, and that's what we're about to find out. You know, yeah. th- this got me thinking. This is a completely different discussion from Sam Darnold now at this right. point, and that's fine. Um, this got me thinking, right? Like the offensive revolution, right? Young play callers, mm-hmm. young coaches, you know, McVay, Stefanski, all these guys. Yeah. And when you mentioned Dan Orlovsky, it, it reminded me, he said something about defensive coordinators and defensive players and what they are programmed to do from the minute they start playing football. Yeah. Stop the run. Stop the run. And this system is using that against them. So I almost wonder if what it's ultimately going to take to push back is kind of a new breed of defensive coordinator a little bit. You know, some yeah. of these younger guys coming up in the analytics community, um, you know, a Robert Sala, someone like that. Kind of these younger guys who maybe think about the game just a little bit differently and match personnel a little bit differently. Because one mm-hmm. of the problems the Browns cause all the time is they send three tight ends out there. And they end up getting Jarvis Landry against a linebacker. Right. So I wonder if the net kind of that next step is sort of a, a defensive revolution of sorts where we get younger, more analytically minded um, defensive coordinators. And I think there's a couple of them out there right now. And Brian Flores might be one of those guys. I think there's a couple coming up the ranks right now. And I just wonder if that's maybe the next evolution. Yeah. And it's probably personnel driven too, right? You know, like you probably have to find some kind of, hybrid players or or you know what I mean I mean there's there is a way to slow down this scheme there's a way to do it like you guys said it's been done in the playoffs Bill Belichick has done it um there's a way to do it but it's going to take uh it's going to take some geniuses to figure it out because like you said Dan they're programmed to try to stop the run and it the passing game is just like Baker was having his way and he we've seen that happen now like five or six games I think part of it is like no here's here's what I think part of it is here's the solution I have the solution oh listen up Mary Kay is the next the next great D coordinator it's me all along (laughs) who knew (laughs) here's what needs to happen Teams need to care more about drafting and developing good freaking defensive players. Hello? How about that? Everybody cares so much about offense that they don't worry enough about building a... How many good defenses have the Cleveland Browns played this year? Not many. And because there aren't many in the NFL. There are not many really good defenses. And, and I just think that I like good defense. I enjoy, I don't like a 52 to 48 game. I don't want to watch those kind of games in the NFL. I, I don't like that. When that happens, I'm like, I'm actually thinking about cooking something for the first time. Um, <laughs> but that's- Well, you're, that, all, you're also frantically right, trying to write a buzzer gamer and the game's just going back and forth. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But that that's the solution. In addition to the brilliant defensive coordinators like the Bill Belichicks and, and you know, the Rables and those kind of guys, you got to find people that can rush the hell out of the passer. You got to find hybrid second level guys that can that can cover the hell out of 
a tight end and stop the run. And you have to have really good cornerbacks. And there are not many teams. Now, the San Francisco 49ers, when the Browns played them last year, they had that kind of a defense. Yeah. For the most part, defenses suck. <laughs> yeah. And to Mary Kay's point, I think that has a lot to do with the pandemic right now. We've seen just offenses be completely ahead of, of what's going on defensively. And I expect next year to that to swing back to more of a even split. It'll always be an advantage offense league just with the rules, but Mary Kay, that defensive revolution I think is coming next year for two reasons. One, because this is now clearly here to stay in the NFL. This wide zone scheme is just completely infiltrated the league and there needs to become an answer to it. Mm -hmm. uh, to your point about developing talent, Mary Kay, Dan, you're, you're right about young defensive minds. And it's also then going to become a trickle down through generational teaching at a younger age of line because these linebackers and defensive linemen are trained to react when they see a certain lineman do something that says run you see a pulling guard linebackers attack the gap when you see wide zone left that back end backside end stays tight to the line to try and create a play when really the quarterback's booting and keeping the ball so it's just going to take some time for these you know football as old as football habits have been to die for the new generation of football to eventually catch up with what has been a college game that is now in the NFL. And I think we'll see that uh, starting the playoffs too. Cause that's one thing I think that's really important to keep in mind that when you have three or four days to prepare for mm -hmm. a game plan like this, it's a lot more difficult to teach those habits out of your players. Mm -hmm. But when you have playoff schedule time to prepare, then you're going to have a, just a higher attention to detail and you see guys actually remembering their cues and sticking and not falling quite as much for play action. So it's, it's high stake football and, and that's where we're at, but this is so much more about uh, the offense and the scheme than it is a certain talent and comparing to get it back to the question, Dan, comparing <laughs> Baker Mayfield. Just that's play okay. fake, Sam, just get out there and play fake. They, they just can't, they can't solve the damn thing. This was a, this ended up being a better topic than the, the Sam Darnold topic anyway. So, so there we go. And, you know, as we're, as we're saying that the nightmare scenario for teams playing the Browns is that, you know, Baker Mayfield is just really this good and he's married to a scheme that makes him this good. That's like the nightmare scenario for the AFC North. And, yeah. um, you know, uh -oh, hopefully at some point a team like the Kansas city chiefs, but uh, the other, the other thing too, is defenses are expensive. If you have a good defense with a lot of talent, it gets really, really expensive. Um, and so I think it's harder to hold things together on that side of the ball, as opposed to if you have just a really good quarterback and a really good scheme. But so worth it. So worth it. When, you know, when I see a team like uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers and you have to worry about TJ Watt and Bud Dupree and Cam Hayward, I mean, that's a defense. Come on, <laughs> NFL. Yeah, yeah. And I'll say I'll say this one to Mary Kay's point, watch out for this Colts defense. I don't know if the Browns and Colts will meet up again in the playoffs. It, 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 who knows, but no Darius Leonard that first time they played and the Colts figured out the Browns in that second half, that, that Colts defense can get to the quarterback rushing four. they're playing some great football right now in Indy defensive football, along yeah. with the Phillip rivers kind of finding himself too. Yeah. Okay. So that'll do it for this. Uh, or well, actually it won't do it for the podcast. We have Terry Pluto coming up after the break in the second half. Now, just so everybody knows, we're going we're gonna to try and knock this out on, on Wednesday. And if we pull it off, we're going to have a super long holiday weekend podcast for you because we aren't going to have one dropping on Friday morning. It's just going to come out on Thursday. 
So uh, you can kind of save some parts of it if you want. You can listen to the whole thing and binge it on Thursday, whatever you want to do. Uh, but we should have another nice long podcast coming your way. Uh, Ellis, what's the uh, got to watch the tape schedule this week? We are doing I know just, this, but I don't. Yep. No, just one this week. Just like last week, we're recording tomorrow morning. So it should be up in the afternoon. Perfect. All right. So we should have lots of stuff to get you through a, a holiday weekend if you're getting tired of hanging out with your family or, or whatever. So uh, check all that out. Make sure you're subscribed to the feed wherever you get it. And of course, check out Football Insider. Terry Pluto coming up in the second half. Ellis and Mary Kay. This was a fun one. Thanks. And now we welcome on Terry Pluto. Terry, how are you? I'm well, Dan. Okay, Terry, um, you were telling me before we hit record that apparently there is a, uh, a doomsday scenario for the Browns. Yes, an 11-5 and five doomsday scenario. <laughs> the I'm like, I actually sent the guy a note back. I said, first of all, if anything this world has taught us, we all are day-to-day, game-to-game, week-to-week. That's number one. Number two, why do we want to create a doomsday scenario when we are inundated you know, with doomsday scenarios for months and months and months, economic and social and viral and all these things. So the one thing that actually in Cleveland, if you're a Browns fan, is probably going better right now than maybe almost anything else in your life, because, you know, all the restrictions, all these kind of things, is the Browns. So what I really want to do is wreck that. (laughs) Like Johnny, wreck it. Yeah. Wreck, wreck this, wreck this 10 and 4 season. No, just, just, it's just like uh, another one I said, you've, you've been writing this like sort of a, a kid having fun with it. I am like a kid with a new toy. I'm a hundred year old writer with a winning Browns football team. I'm playing with it. I'm having a good time. It's like, you know, if you have a little kid says, play that song over and over again, you know, Barney singing or whatever, because you don't get it that often. So I know I have set a career record for me using exclamation points this year. But (laughs) I don't care. I do not apologize for it. It's a wonderful diversion of what's going on. I don't care that there's like 15 things could happen. They could go 11 and five and miss the playoffs. I mean, frankly, if they go 11 and five, I think whether they make the playoffs or miss the playoffs, they went 11 and five. They really did a good job. But let's just see what happens. Right. And you know, look, it would be it would be very disappointing if they went eleven and five and were watching Wild Card Weekend, but I don't think that necessarily changes the optimistic outlook for this team moving forward. I think they've established already that they've got some good things going for them. You know, I don't here. think it's a Derek Anderson one year wonder group like it was right. back in two thousand and seven, because if you look at some of that, like Jamal Lewis was an aging running back they had. Um, you know, we all had a kind of a bad feeling about Braylon Edwards. He's, for one year, he stopped dropping passes, but that could return at any time. Uh, Kellen Winslow was always battling injuries, you know, so there was a lot going on there. Uh, and frankly, Romeo Cornell as a coach, he was okay, but I didn't have anywhere near the confidence in him uh, that I have in these guys. So uh, not that they're start singing Super Bowl or whatever, but I don't see why the next couple of years cannot be where they're consistently winners and playoff contenders. That, you know, that's the old thing. You want to get in there to see what happens. And, um, and a year ago at this time, we're sitting there, well, Freddie's a lame duck, you know, and is Baker any good at all? 
uh, all the Odell and everybody else stuff and people screaming at each other on the sidelines. It's like, let's just enjoy this. I mean, I thought, see what you think, Dan. I thought they went out and played one of the most solid games of the year in New York to win, to beat the Giants. Just solid, smart, tough football. They, they looked like they knew they were better than the Giants. Yes. And they just knew that all they had to do was go out and be the Cleveland Browns, and, and they were going to win that game. I mean, that game was never in doubt. Even when the Giants are driving on the first drive, the Browns uh, miss out on that fourth down conversion and go down 3 nothing. It just never felt like the Browns weren't going to get control of that game. Exactly. And then, you know, the, the other thing, and, and generally I lean more towards analytics than not, but – you know, and this has nothing to do. Freddie Kitchens, by the way, was not calling the punt, the punter throwing a pass. I mean, that's right. Joe Judge, who, by the way, is a special teams coach. Remember, that's what he was. Yep. So this should have been one of his Belichick plays he pulled <laughs> out or something. But if you had beaten uh, Seattle 17 to 12 with Colt McCoy, you know, every point's going to be precious if that's your game plan, which should have been their game plan. So every time they had a chance to take three points, they should have taken the three points, you know, just to make it make it closer nonetheless even if they kicked a couple of those field goals and they got to nine points they're still were going to lose well you know it was actually interesting joe judge said something and i think this speaks to the browns um more than anything Mm -hmm. he said one of the reasons they were so aggressive is because he knew they'd have to score points not just he knew they'd need sevens yeah well i I think what he was saying was to kind of keep up with that browns offense he knew that that they were going to need sevens and not threes it's like what stefanski said about playing baltimore you know, yeah. they, they knew they're going to have to score. And that is, that is a compliment because the, the offense is certainly a top 10 offense. I haven't seen exactly where they rank in the different categories, but I, I think they're top 10 in the league, if not higher. And in the second half of the year, you know, they're, they're probably maybe top five, you know, given the way Baker's played since the bye week and, and just the way it's going. And once now you got Chubb back in there. And I thought it was interesting too. The Giants did clog up the running game. But the Browns went and won it anyway. That, that I think was the most impressive thing that the Browns controlled the clock and controlled the ball, and they did it. I think Nick Chubb had 15 carries, and then Kareem yeah. Hunt had seven. Yeah. So they they did it without just turning and handing the ball off. They controlled the clock and possession with the pass game, and I think that's mm-hmm. a step forward too. Yeah, obviously we've seen how Baker has played recently, and I think we're just starting to see this this offense figure itself out in the passing game. And what it shows is you can have that, they call it kind of running through your passing game, you know, with your shorter passes and things like that. And all of a sudden the tight end finally came out of the, out of the, out of the back of the closet somewhere. <laughs> they got the mothballs out of them. They put them in and the receivers closed and, and there was Austin Hooper catching some passes. I think Bryant caught a couple too. So um, that, that was good to see. I was just, I was just really impressed with that game and the defense was set. I granted, we may remember Colt McCoy, but this was exactly what I remember about Colt McCoy. All these like nice plays between the twenties, as they say, but you get down in the red zone, he can't, couldn't get it in the end zone. Right. So going back to that doomsday scenario and how it applies to this giants game, here's why I think you shouldn't worry about it. Can you think of a game the Browns have lost this year that they just absolutely had no business losing? Maybe the Raiders, Maybe and, and, and I would argue at that point, probably the Raiders were on par with the Browns. And, and the Raiders were playing well at the time. Now yeah, they've fallen off. We're talking they, about they them. Really Remember, well the whole thing, too, in the NFL is 
how you were playing like right now, not right. how you were playing, uh, you know, many, many months ago. And so what you have there uh, is that's why suddenly the Steelers look vulnerable and the Browns look stronger and the Jets look like the Jets, even though they won a game. But I don't think so. I just, they're too, they're too steely minded now. Now they're liable to beat the Jets and if it's a big game with Pittsburgh, you know, and Pittsburgh goes back to playing like Pittsburgh can, they could lose there. Okay, fine. If your season ends and your losses are two to Baltimore and two to Pittsburgh and one to uh, who's the other, the Raiders. Uh, and you got to 11 and five because you beat every single other team you should beat. I'm not going to argue about how you got to 11 and five. I mean, that, that's what the NFL is about. Yes. <laughs> you, I mean, they'll you got, say, you got to beat the teams you're supposed to, because when you play a good team like Baltimore, it can become a coin flip. Like sometimes it's just about who had the football last and that's what happened against Baltimore and the Browns got the football back with two seconds. and didn't have a chance. Mm-hmm. Maybe they win that game. If there's a minute on the clock, you just, that's how the NFL goes. And you know, the Bengals beat the Steelers. Yeah. I mean, usually the Browns have one or two of those, you know, they lose to Brandon Allen or they do, there's always some stupid game they lose. Um, and there hasn't been any of those. And the other thing is there hasn't been the games where they lost where, you know, coaching was an issue, I don't think. Um, because that game against the Raiders, I mean, I, maybe you could say Gruden not coached him. He had a better game plan, but it wasn't like you were going, what is he doing? What are, what are they calling? What are they? We haven't had that stuff at all. I mean, now and then any coach is going to be open to, you know, second guess here or there. But I, I am just blown away by the organization of the coaching staff. And this also, by the way, is converted me, which I knew other teams were able to have their head coach call plays and it would work, but I had never seen it here. I finally see how you do it. <laughs> it's, it's been fascinating to watch. Mm-hmm. How Kevin Stefanski has come in and just sort of taken control of just everything. He, he and I, you know, here's another thing real quick. Remember when we talked about the masks a couple of weeks ago? Yeah. So <laughs> this is sort of one of those weird kind of like, huh, moments, I guess. A couple of weeks ago, the Steelers lost to, was it Washington? Maybe a couple of Browns players went on Twitter, tweeted a couple things. You know, they were clearly watching and noticed, you know, how many Browns players I saw tweet last night? Like one, maybe, and maybe it was about the game. Maybe it wasn't. And I, I don't know. I, I feel like some of that comes from the top down. I the think Browns say, really, look, look, we they, don't need they, to draw this attention to ourselves. Just go out and put the, the lid on social media. And that starts, by the way, also with Andrew Barry. I yeah. know he does not like social media foolishness at all. And, you know, we always, I rolled my eyes, and I'm sure you did with the tough, smart, accountable thing they, they, be, they rolled out in the beginning. <laughs> I, I, I flash back to Mike Pettin's play like a Brown, whatever that meant. <laughs> <laughs> you know uh and actually he stole that from new york where yeah. back when he was there with rex right was playing like a jet <laughs> of course what does that mean too <laughs> but this is you know if you're tough smart accountable you're not tweeting about some other team you're you're, you're doing what you're supposed to do but dan I'd, I'd love to know the the inner mechanics of this and we we won't but clearly stefanski also has delegated a lot of the coaching during the game so he could be because he is immersed in the play calling 
mean, he's got that play sheet up there a lot. And you see him, he's over there with Alex Van Pelt and, and uh, you know, the quarterbacks. So somebody must be really keeping an eye on things because you haven't had all those 12 guys on the field, or like Baltimore, 15. Yeah, <laughs> oh, my God. How was that? <laughs> or nine. I remember one, <laughs> one time the Browns had nine on the field. You had to play defense with nine guys. Um, so, But you, you haven't had that. And, I mean, we also know, because it's been mentioned a couple times, Stump Mitchell is determining who's in the backfield at different points in the game. He's making yeah. the call on whether it's uh, going to be Chubb or uh, Kareem. And he's, he's got some sort of probably mathematical formula that they gave him from the analytics department that he's using along with his eyes. And remember they said, uh, uh, even when, what is it, Carrie, the, the, when she filled in a tight ends coach? Yeah, Cal in, Callie Brownson. Callie Brown, yeah, Callie, that she took over and actually was kind of determining they might get the call that, well, they're going to use two tight ends, but I get she's just picking which two. And so they're trusting these people. Now, clearly all this must be filled out in advance. I don't think they're just, you go into game day and the assistant coach gets to pick like whoever all the time. But it, there's a trust factor there. And Crowley Callahan has a lot to do with the preparation of the running game. And, and I get, I don't know how it works on defense. I mean, Woods is doing it, but uh, the fact that we aren't sitting there just screaming at the television sets about what are they doing and why can't they get lined up or how many timeouts are they going to burn because something looks all out of whack for a first year coaching staff. To me, that's phenomenal. Well, and, you know, kind of taking that a step further, it's like with these decisions to go for it on fourth down, you'll see, I mean, you'll watch games all the time where a team gets to a fourth down near midfield and the quarterbacks look into the sideline for a little yeah, while and the coaches right. are talking and they got to burn a timeout and then they maybe decide to punt or whatever. The Browns know what they're going to do. It always feels like they know what they're going to do. If it gets to fourth down, yeah, we're going to go for it. There's not even a question. I don't ever see them running on the punter and then running back on the offense and all mm -hmm. that stuff. It's just all very organized and happening on time. I think that's part of what they say when they talk about analytics for the game plan. It doesn't mean you take your brains out of it, but what you want is, in other words, the decision is almost made in advance. If the score is within this range and it's fourth and two, and we're within this part of the field, we're going for it. Wow. That's all. We're just, don't think twice. Just have that fourth and two play ready to go. We're going for it. And Batonio mentioned that too. He talked about one of the press conferences about, like if it's 14 points, you know, they go for two after the, um, uh, after the extra point is scored, you know, the, the numbers of players even kind of know what to expect. So that's, and I think that all came to fruition in that Giants game where they were just so prepared and ready to go. And as you said, there was never any hesitation and, and they didn't like they, they threw the ball, but it wasn't crazy throwing to allow the Giants to get back into it. And hey, it helps right now when your quarterback is hot and accurate. I mean, that makes yeah. the offense really good. So let's spend some time on Baker because I, I think we're going to look back on this season. And, you know, if he turns out to have a, just a fantastic career and, and be that guy for this mm -hmm. team for 10 years, 15 years, we might look back at kind of that Pittsburgh game as sort of mm -hmm. a turning point, right? Because if you sort of look at what happened there 
and then he throws the interception to start the Cincinnati game. It's just sort of been, it almost bottomed out. And now it's just sort of been this slow climb back to what we're seeing now to where he sort of learned to be a, a game manager a little bit. And now he's sort of opening up a little more and we're seeing him take more shots and be more aggressive, but we're not seeing the turnovers come with it. It, it just, I, I feel like this has been sort of a slow rebuilding of Baker here for the last, what, six weeks, eight weeks. I think he mirrors the team in that, for example, if the, the way you become a good team is first to beat the bad teams. Okay. The way to become a good quarterback is to stop losing games first, even if you're not particularly winning games. Stop beating yourself. And so the, you know, the game manager idea is like, I'm going to put my position, my team in maybe position to win, uh, even if I'm not the one winning the game, because I'm not losing it. I'm not throwing it to the other team. And that, or when there is a mistake made, like in that Baltimore game where, you know, granted Stefanski is blaming himself, but clearly Baker also didn't see the defender. Um, and the guy made a heck of a play to make the interception nonetheless. But it's like, okay, that, you know, they always say I have a short memory. Well, in the past, Baker did not have a short memory. It would carry over. It seems like one interception would become two and a couple of sacks and something else. Um, now it's like, okay, that was just a bad throw or whatever. And off we go. So, but that again, mirrors the progress of the Browns. Cause remember they were barely getting by the Bengals and some of these other teams earlier in the year, but you're learning how to win. And uh, the coaching staff was also learning that, but even in those games, you know, other than when maybe Baker was turn turnover prone or stuff, you just didn't see a ton of mistakes. Yeah, I mean, it was really – you kind of go back to that. So he threw, threw two in the final half against the Colts, threw two against Pittsburgh, and yeah. then one against Cincinnati. So you're looking at – what is that, six, seven quarters he threw five interceptions, and ever mm -hmm. since he's thrown one. Yeah. Yeah, he has. I mean, and, you know, I've been on this for a long time. You know, people don't want to believe it. I just still think not having Odell there makes it better, even if it doesn't make sense. <laughs> so we we had a theory kind of thrown at us that it's not so much that Odell isn't there it's that kind of the coaching and Baker have sort of coincided in figuring each other out I'm going to stay one of, on one of our story. Text, I'm one sticking of our to it here's too. why Baker see he's dropping back he's got they're, they're wearing white jerseys that day the first white jersey he sees is open he throws it to him he doesn't worry about the number on the back just that's, that's my stance. That's and then he doesn't have to worry possible. about coming the huddle, getting into it. And the coaching staff doesn't have to feel the pressure of getting him the ball. I'm just, I'm staying right there. And I, you know, Dan, I was just sick of what watch is he wearing and all this junk. <laughs> he may not have evil intent or anything. I'm not saying that, but he does have a big ego. And frankly, the ego didn't, match production now i'm going to also throw this out when i hear about well odell coming back and this odell has an acl and after this year odell will have missed 25 of the last 64 games 25 out of 64 so it's like 40 percent so a guy who's missed 40 percent of the games of the last four years coming off an acl exactly how durable is he going to be and how good is he going and that, that's, you know, you want to talk about cold-eyed evaluating teams. And that, 
that's how I am. And I'm like, I, you know, I don't know what he's going to do. And most of the time it takes, a, even though you come back and play, you, you've always heard the players say it takes almost another six or nine months after you're playing for that knee to really feel solid again. Yeah. His, his durability is something to, to be concerned about at this point. I mean, um, that was a concern for the Giants. Remember when they had traded him, he'd missed 16 of the previous 32 games. Let, let's talk about Odell's best, best buddy, Jarvis. Okay. <laughs> who is the best receiver on the team period no discussion oh yeah no doubt no i mean even when the other guy was here I, I, yeah I, there's certainly yeah you can make that case and you'd probably win that argument i think the things they do How about the fact artists, he's never missed a game yet yeah I we think just went through the other guy this guy's like 108 for 108 or whatever <laughs> it is he unlocks so much in this offense and i thought it was on full display sunday night just even even when he's not getting the football, the stuff he's mm-hmm. doing pre-snap, you can line him up inside, outside. There's nobody else on this roster that can do – like you're not doing that with Richard Higgins or Kadero Hot or Donovan Peoples-Jones. Jarvis Be careful just what you're going to say about my client. So much. What's that? Be careful what you're going to say about my client, Richard, now. All I'm saying is Richard is not Jarvis Landry. Hardly okay, I'll go with that. <laughs> he had a good game, though. Richard did. He did. But you're correct. He, and, and the other thing is, it seems to me, um, he, Richard and, and here's the one thing, Richard and Jarvis have a good thing, a thing in common is they can read Baker. When Baker starts to roll out, they both have a way of making themselves really available to him. You know, they break their patterns where they're running to him or all that. They, 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 they get in that scramble mode and it makes Baker look better because those receivers are helping him. And, and they catch everything. Catch everything. I mean, I know Jarvis has had some drops this year, but I mean. Like That's when he had the broken ribs earlier in the everything. year. Yeah. It, it's incredible. Can we repeat, he had like two broken ribs and he played anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Jarvis doesn't miss games. Doesn't miss games. The opposite of the other guy. And again, I'm not, I'm not that, but a big part early on, I mean, I had a top general manager in the NFL tell me, you know, we hit, he goes, we also have, we have the ability board and we have the durability board. And, and they have to, part of ability is durability or availability, however you want to call it. And when the injury histories begin to mount up, you know, you may like the guy or whatever, but you know, he's going to, he's going to get hurt. Just like Olivia Vernon, you know, early in the early there, he's on a healthy streak now. I'm, I, I'm sure the Browns are holding their breath, hoping to keep him healthy for the rest of the, because you know, he's going to have, here comes the high ankle sprain. Here comes the hip. Here comes something. It's not his fault. It's a violent game. And your body could only handle so much. So let, let's talk about the other guy on that line, Miles Garrett. Yes. Um, you know, the Browns have a little bit of a situation to manage That's here. I, I thought he looked, I mean, he admitted he was winded after the Tennessee game. I thought he actually played well against Tennessee. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we saw it against Baltimore. Lamar Jackson is really difficult. Uh, this week, you know, he admitted he's having coughing fits after games. He didn't sound like Miles after the game. I, he, I needs, mean, he needs to sit out. Yeah, there's definitely something that the Browns are going to have to monitor there. Um, they need to sit out and really look at this guy because if that Pittsburgh game is going to be big, you want him, you know, available if you can. And he did not look like himself. And if you, I'm not for one guy wanted to, by the way, he was going the other way on the doomsday scenario guy. The other guy was like preparing for the Super Bowl in an email. <laughs> he like wanted to rest all these guys, you know, 
Rest until like the AFC like, Championship game. Yeah, right. But I'm like, no, we're not doing that. I said, the only one's Miles. So you you sit him out, and you run in Claiborne, and you're we used to. Didn't you like Pierre? What's the name? Gustin or what is? Porter. Porter Gustin. Porter Gustin. Weren't you? You looked epic on him. I wrote, I wrote a long story on him. That's you know that's all separate though. <laughs> yeah, you wrote that story on. Hold on one second. And on top of it was a junk call too. <laughs> oh, they always are. I know. Go ahead whenever you're ready. But I'm saying in terms of Gustin, I mean, let those guys Claiborne. I didn't look how many snaps that he played this week. Uh, you know what? I can look it up right now. Yeah. Uh, you know they brought him in for stuff like this, Claiborne. Yeah, and he got off to a decent start this year, too. Let's see. Well, let me find Claiborne here. He played 23 snaps, so a little yeah. under half. Yeah, so you got him. I mean, Miles played like 80 or like 92% of the snaps or something last week. Yeah, Miles played 49 of 54. Ah. Somebody need to talk to Joe on that one, Woods, and say, what, what are you doing here? Yeah, they're going to have to. They're yeah. going to have to come up with some sort of plan. But I, and, I seriously, and look, if you, can, if you can get out on the Jets and build a little lead, that would just save so much trouble forever. <laughs> yeah, it really would. But even still, I would. I'm not sure. I, it might be one of those things where, again, we're we're all learning. And by we, I mean the medical uh, community, on what exactly the impact of the of the virus is. And I've had a couple of people close to me get it, and it's really strange because the symptoms are different. Those classic mm-hmm. symptoms they all say, and then some people bounce back within a few weeks and others it drags on for a couple months before they begin to feel themselves like themselves. And of course, I'm not even talking about the severe cases. I'm talking about the others. So uh, we don't know. I mean, the thing that we do know is miles has had a lot of the symptoms and here's an elite athlete in probably tremendous condition. Um, But here's another thing. The the most elite athlete. I mean, the guy doesn't, the guy doesn't drink. The guy doesn't do anything. He's just, he's in his, mid 20s in perfect shape right so i mean we just don't know so you're you're not the guy who sent me the uh, uh email that said i don't know why people are alarmed i've been watching miles for two years he always looks to me like he's out of shape <laughs> i have no i am not that guy yeah of, of all the things you could you know you there were probably some criticisms of miles I'm like, certainly not he, one he of plays them. like the highest percentage of snaps of like <laughs> any defensive lineman in, in the nfl and you know, remember at, at Texas A&M, they like never took him out of the game. He, I mean, he, one of the games I watched of his was against Tennessee. He had a, this really bad sprained ankle and he just dominated like, the game. He plays like 70% of the snaps and they're double teaming him and, you know. So, but I will say this, when you're not feeling yourself and you're a defensive lineman and you look up and there's a tight end tackle and they're both coming at you, that is a mental uh, thing too i'm sure that he feels yeah because he's like if i felt 100 percent, i could take them both on but right now man i'm 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 fighting you know just to, to breathe normally yeah if you're winded i mean miles can beat anybody one-on-one and he can beat yeah. a lot of people two-on-one but if you're not i mean if you're having trouble breathing if you just can't do what you normally so, do so sit them out see how that goes and then uh and play these other guys um was there somebody on defense you thought that played well besides Carl Joseph that kind of stood up? Then maybe people um, mentioned because you rewatched I, the game, didn't you? I'm working on it right now, yeah. but I, you know, I'd have to go back and look at. I haven't looked at any grades yet, actually, yet for some reason I just haven't. Um, I, I mean, I thought Denzel played well. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I snap to snap. I'm not 100. percent You know, I can't yeah. rate these DBs snap to snap, but it seemed like Denzel, when the ball was coming his way, played pretty well. Um, Ogan Joby made a couple plays. Again, that's one of those things, snap to snap. I'm not sure. Well, it's good to know that he did, though. You'd like to see that. What's going on with Sheldon Richardson? I think the Browns are going to dodge a bullet on this one. It was a neck injury. Oh, okay. Uh, but Miles said after the game that he was Sheldon was just kind of being Sheldon, and Kevin Stefanski, who doesn't give us anything on injuries, no, seemed pretty optimistic about about him. So, yeah, so that that part's good. But I, you know, I'm excited. The Jets. I, it's hard to talk really talk about the Jets. You know. Um, by the way, I'll say this: I think the Jets fired the wrong guy. They should have fired Adam Gase earlier in the year. Let Greg be the interim coach, and. Uh, you know, and you, you may still guess a stupid call at the end of the game on all full all out blitz, but they would just wouldn't have, I think, their general chaos that they had there. Well, maybe, maybe they were concerned that Greg would win them too many games. Say that again, because I think you speak it the truth. <laughs> maybe they're concerned Greg would have won them too many games. Because, you know, that's how he would have coached it, just like when he got in here. And they probably would have won three or four. And then they're all messed up trying to get their quarterback or whatever they want to do. Do they hate Sam Darnold now or what's going on over there? I don't know. It's well, it's so strange because like, you know, obviously the thinking was if they get the number one pick, they take Trevor Lawrence and Mm -hmm. move on from Darnold. And now all of a sudden, and this is all just, you know, this is all just chatter, like national pundits, all this stuff. Now people are saying, well, maybe if they don't get the number one pick, they'll just hang on to Darnold which I, I don't understand. You either like the guy or you don't to me. Yes. And by the way, you know, if, if you're looking to replace him, then you obviously don't like him. One thing, if I go back and look at my, my draft ratings for the Baker draft, I had one thing that was outrageously wrong. And one thing that was outrageously right. And one thing that I just totally ignored, which is Lamar Jackson. My number one quarterback rated in that draft was Josh Rosen. So I don't even know if he's still in the NFL. <laughs> so that's the outrageously wrong. Then I had um, Josh Allen two. I had Baker three and I had Darnold four. And I didn't like Darnold at all because of all the turnovers. And I remember watching Darnold against Ohio state. Remember where he just really lost his composure and everything. And that struck me as that, well, I'm not sure I want to bring that guy in. You know, Baker to me was always so hard to evaluate because of the, you know, how he played in the Big 12 and just, uh, you know, I just struggled with that. So um, you, you go with Darnold, I just never had any confidence in that guy. So I, um, so let me think here. I didn't like Rosen. Um, I think I, I did like Darnold. Okay. I was nervous about the turnovers, but I just liked when I watched him play. I liked some of that ability that he had. Um, I had no idea what to make of Jackson. And Josh Allen was kind of the same way for me. I just didn't know. Like, I would watch games, and he'd make some throws that would just blow me away. Yeah. Then he'd miss a bunch, and he'd miss some. And I I don't know. I mean, maybe the Jets should look at at what the Bills have done with Josh Allen. Yeah. I mean, you And and even what the Browns have done with Baker. You you get a guy – you build around him, him, coach him up. Yeah, work with him. Turn him into something. And what's helped Allen is they've, they've kept their – once they got McDermott in there and all that, they kind of kept that coaching staff in place in Buffalo, and that helped him grow. But the reason I did like Allen is because um, 
you've got to be a really tough guy to go to Wyoming and turn him into a bowl team. Yeah. And play for Craig Bowl, by the way, who is Wences. He is a disciplinarian. He is old school. And that struck me as there's something there, along with the fact he's 6'4 and he's got a rocket arm. Now, I know that the, <laughs> the accuracy was an issue, but I just thought the toughness in there was, 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 was there. I, frankly, I didn't know he was going to be as good as he's turned into this year. I didn't even know at the start of the year he was going to be any good. But I thought, you know, he's a guy you could have and you could probably grow with him and, and that kind of stuff. So, but fortunately, uh, Baker's playing now like the guy that we saw in 2018, especially the second half of the year. Right. And, and again, it goes back to you invested, you invested in this guy. Yes. Bring, bring in a system and a coach that fit him. And then, the, and the quarterback had to be willing to bend yeah. to say, okay, I will play on your system instead of my way. And then it's, it's almost like when you take over, I, I taught for six months at Lincoln West to be certified to teach. And I remember when I, uh, my first day of class, it was pretty, pretty wild. I did not do a really good job. And then uh, the, the veteran teacher pulled me over. He goes, you know, somebody's going to control this classroom. It's either going to be you or them. And I suggest it be you. And I suggest it starts tomorrow. And he gave me, you know, think like you need to give more quiz, quizzes, how to keep order and that. He said, remember, it's always easier to go from tough to soft than soft to tough. He goes, you're at that key point right now. Well, Stefanski came in really, and they started tough with him, with Baker. Yeah. I mean, how would you like to be that first press conference? I'm sure they told him already though, uh, oh, you're changing your footwork. It's not like we're going to talk about it or what? No, it's changing. Yeah. Well, and, and yeah, they made that public. They made it public. The first press conference. I mean, was, they told everybody we're changing Baker's footwork. Yeah. And we wanted to lose some weight while he's at getting better shape. Yeah. They, they, they sent that message out to the world yeah. <laughs> for, for good reason. And I'm sure he had heard that before, but he was probably stunned that it became public, but I think it was designed to get him to start tougher and now, and then as it went along and he had some ups and downs, you know, that, okay, we're only going to throw 22 passes a game. Do we get this going the right way? And now it's, it's loosened up. Can I, can I, before I let you go, can I throw a theory at you that I've been had bouncing around in my head was, was the weather in November, one of the best things to happen for Baker because he comes out of the Cincinnati game, right? He completed 21 in a row. Yeah, And then they go into the, the, a bunch of games that are just terrible weather. So he's got to lean on that run game. He's got to mm-hmm. take a back seat. I like that. And kind of had to learn like, okay, hey, you know what? We can win and I don't have to throw the ball 30 times. It kind of yeah. slowed It kind of slowed the train a little bit. Like yeah. the train got going and get Cincinnati and then it just kind of pulled it back a little. And now they come out of it and Baker's kind of looking more and more like he did in Cincinnati. But I don't know. I like it. I've been trying to work on that a little bit. I like it also because this is like Baker, you're part of the system. You are not the system. Yeah. In other words, you're the, 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 the guy in the locomotive, but somebody laid down the tracks and somebody, you know, in the old days, like they would say, put the wood in the fire to make it go, you know, like Casey Jones, these old guys like those old movies, you're keeping it on the tracks, but you know, Without the track, this is really all part of the system. Now, when things get a little dicey with weather and all that, you know, you got to make sure you go in the right direction. Then, you know, when, 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 in other words, when they have options of which way to go, you got to make the right call. But you're just part of the system. 
and the system works, especially in cold weather. I like that a lot, Dan, because you're right. It put the brakes on him, and um, and then you know when they needed him to do some throwing and things, now we could do it. But he just stopped a lot of the stupid stuff. He just stopped it. How many passes have we seen into three guys lately? None. And part of that is I think he understands, like, I got a whole bunch of dudes around me. Right. And my offensive line is going to protect me. So I don't need to try and throw the ball 20 yards down the field. Maybe this goes back to your Odell point. I don't need to throw the ball. I don't have to force it to anybody. I see a white jersey. He's open. I'm throwing it to him. That's it. You know, and I have confidence. Richard will catch it. Peoples-Jones will catch it. He likes Kaderil Haji even to catch it. And, of course, Landry's the best receiver on the team. Before or after Odell. I, I can't argue that. <laughs> All right. We, well, By we the way, can't... can't until you say something about your client, Kareem Hunt. I've been waiting the whole day. Well, he got banged up a little bit on, on Monday, on Sunday night. Yeah. Um, that one, he made a catch in that, mm-hmm. on that first drive. It was really good. Yeah. Um, I was kind of behind him. Uh, he made a really great catch, but yeah, he got banged up. He wasn't real involved. On, so, uh, on the, I think there's still there's still something there to unlock with that hunt chub combo. I think so too. I think so too. That's, and and you know, we I think we will maybe we will see in that Steeler game where all of a sudden he's in the slot more, getting more passes or something like that. Um, I don't think this, even, this coaching staff is smart enough to sit on stuff. Yeah. If yeah, they yeah. were to get. And I'm thinking way ahead here. If they were to get into a game against a Kansas City in the playoffs, you know, where you probably don't have a chance, but the thing that could give you a chance is maybe this little Kareem Hunt, Nick Chubb package you've been sitting on. And then finally, I, I, you and I are on the same train with this. Few people on our staff, by the way, owe us an apology about our support of the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you and Mary Kay are, are going to lead the, the Josh Allen Right, but you always you were pro Buffalo. I was. I I was. I, I thought people were taking Buffalo a little too lightly. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'll also say on the picks pod, on our picks pod we do every week. Last week, we we pick against the spread. I thought Denver would cover that game. I thought the hype train was rolling a little too much for the Bills. I oh. felt like a kind of a comeback game a little bit, and the Bills just went out and rolled. I'm, I'm going to say it again, and I guess the Browns did cover this week. I don't look at that stuff, but I know a lot of times they haven't covered, folks. Don't bet on the Browns <laughs> unless it's a straight win or lose bet on that, because then you enjoy the game when you're watching. You're not worried about Cody Parkey's going to uh oh or something like that. Yeah. Uh, how are you? Where how, where do you stand with Cody right now? It's concerning. Yeah. It's very especially given his history. Yeah. I it's not a comfortable place to be. Yeah, and because basically his reason been with five teams. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's like one of these relievers in baseball that, you know, gets hot for a while and then he loses it and then he goes somewhere else and gets hot for a while and then he loses it. It's a hard job. And, uh, they, you know, I, I like how, uh, what's the special team? Prefer keeps saying, oh, you know, he looks the same to me wherever. And then after you look at his eyes and those close-ups on TV, he looks <laughs> like he just there, he went out and somebody just stole his car, you know, <laughs> right out of his driveway. <laughs> it's uh kicker is a concern but you circle that you circle that and hope it doesn't become a factor in january yeah i mean it, it, it is an issue so all right terry i've kept you here forever so i will uh i will let you go thanks for the time take care dan <laughs>